Hi everyone. <laughs> welcome or welcome back to our home libraries. For today's spooky season episode, our next to last one, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, we'll decide that later, we're going to be discussing The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu. We are going to be spoiling the plot of this book for you, so if this is something that you're interested in reading and you don't want us to spoil it, then make sure you stop listening before we get into the questions, but do come back and give this a listen once you have read. And of course, you can always head over to our Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel to check out some extra content. All of those are our home libraries, plural, because we're two people. Yeah. So for this spooky episode, as we said, it's called The Library of the Dead. So the title really caught us and we thought it was going to be spooky. Yeah, and it did. It, it, and... it got me good at, at the bookstore. So the story is set in Edinburgh and it follows our lead, Ropa. She is a young girl with this pretty unique ability, although I think it's somewhat common in this world, mm -hmm. um, but not everyone can do it. But she has this ability to communicate with spirits of the dead. So people that are kind of lingering in this plane, she can help them send messages to their loved ones or any final things that they need to do. They do have to pay her for these services. And then eventually that helps them cross on to like another plane. This um, skill set is called a, a ghost walker, I think. I think it's supposed to be a combination of ghost and talker. Oh yeah, but they talker. But like they combined it into one word. Gotcha. <laughs> so anyway, she tries to help these spirits find closure. However, her life takes um kind of like a dark and sinister turn when she agrees to help this spirit that can't pay her. And normally, this is a no go for her. She only does it for payment because her family's not in the greatest shape financially. And she discovers that children are going missing. Um, and she's trying to figure out what's going on and what's happening. Along the way, she kind of re-forms um, some friendships with people that she had lost touch with in the past and discovers something called the Library of the Dead, which she hopes will help her solve this mystery as she navigates this really eerie world and uses the abilities that she has and then these new abilities that she maybe starts to learn. That's the summary. Yeah. Did we like it, though? Well, I rated it the lowest I have ever rated a book for this podcast. I gave it really? a one. Wow. Yeah. I, I feel like... I gave it a two out of five. I think Spirits. I went into this, like, with higher expectations. Because when it first came out... It did generate a bit of buzz, but I was pretty underwhelmed and frankly frustrated. I feel like the plot itself had potential, but the pacing was a really big issue for me. And the dialect that this was written in made it very difficult for me to actually get into the narrative. I agree. I said that the dialogue, it felt like almost choppy or like not quite how people normally communicate. So like when I was reading sentences, I was just a little thrown off by them. I think that the premise is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was also disappointed because I thought we were going to see and experience more about the Library of the Dead itself because it's this 
whole it's the like, title of the book. Like, other, yeah, and this like other world that has all this information, and it just felt like there was too many plot points, and then some stuff felt a little too rushed to me, and then other stuff wasn't like developed enough. So I think it was a cool premise, mm-hmm. um, but not exactly my cup of tea. And maybe maybe we are a little bit biased about the dialogue because I really do think that the author was trying to use an authentic Scottish dialect in the communication that we were reading and in our narrator which is Ropa but um it just didn't it didn't resonate with me at all it was just so difficult to understand yeah and I had said to you Carrie that I think which I'm shocked to say this, um, but I think I'm maybe a little bit past the YA genre. Because mm-hmm. the past couple that we've done, I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. But it doesn't um, catch me like it used to, which I guess makes sense. I mean, I'm not really the target audience for that anymore. Um, but it used to be like my go-to, like if I just wanted like something quick and light to read a, a YA book would usually fill that ticket for me. And now I yeah. just, they're not quite hitting the mark for me. Which yeah. is, I guess, a good thing. And maybe we are just in, like, a different age bracket now. We're, we are not the target market for young adults. Yeah. So maybe that's also part of it. Who knows? Yeah, so I do think that that's some of our own, like, I guess, bias weighing in maybe with this one. So Yeah. I will yeah. say, though, that the city itself is a really interesting backdrop. For this story it's a really cool setting and we see this blending of the like mundane everyday life of people who are not really financially well off at all they're basically living in slums and it mixes with the supernatural elements and this blending does kind of impact the atmosphere of the novel I mean Edinburgh is a real city so it's grounded in a real-world setting, but then we also get ghosts. And we also have this idea that the ghosts are well-accepted. People accept that ghosts exist and even attempt to communicate with them. So that was one interesting part of this book. Yeah, and I mean, I, I said it before, but I think the idea is neat that, like, that the planes can kind of intersect and certain people have the skill set to like communicate and help Mm -hmm. move people through these planes. So I found it interesting, which I think is kind of the idea that we all maybe have that there could be ghosts like among us, but not everyone can like see or experience this paranormal activity. So to have people that are able to like communicate and facilitate that is really neat. And I, I like that we got to see some of Roba like using her skill for that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a cool atmosphere though, mm-hmm. I would say. And I do kind of like um it's not always my go-to, but I do sometimes like like the urban fantasies or like urban settings where it's like inside like a city. Mm-hmm. So it, even though it's it's like a, you know, a big city or whatever, it does feel almost like contained like the area where she like lived was kind of the focus. So I I think it's fun. I mean, that's neat. Yeah. I think that one thing the author did not take advantage of with this world that he was building is that 
at one point we get to see Ropa basically doing astral projection and she goes into this whole other plane where ghosts exist like that that's where they live after they die it's like the afterworld almost and yeah there are these she called it a walk around yeah she did and there are these interesting like guards of this world that are supposed to keep out the living and i think that we saw so little of that but that would have been a really interesting part of this story and this world to explore more well, and part of me wonders, because this is actually part of the series, so I'm wondering if really, like, this first book is to kind of lay this groundwork for all these things that then are going to, like, delve into more, like, actually like, going to the library, talking about, like, being between the planes, like, if you get stuck there, like, we kind of know that it's super dangerous, but, like, I wonder if maybe that's what the future books in the series are. Like, I didn't do any research into it, so I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm the be. kind of person who buys books that come out in series before I've actually read the first one and realized I didn't really like it that much. Uh, so I do have the second one. It's called Our Lady of Mysterious Ailments, and it's supposed to tie in more with Priya, who was her friend in the library. Her friend. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because, so we already have this world where there's like these supernatural ghosts but then also like other kind of supernatural creatures like you talked about the guards that Mm -hmm. um the collector that was kind of that was the name of the big bad that was given to the person like taking these children there's definitely other supernatural elements but when ropa gets down to the library of the dead she's also introduced actually to like magic Mm -hmm. and her friend priya knows how to like utilize the magic um so how does, I guess, kind of the magic in this world differ from how we've, like, seen it in other books or other fantasy novels? And what aspect did you like the most of this? I think that in a lot of other books, magic is something that is inherent to a person and then must be practiced. Whereas in this one, I mean, it is kind of still inherent to a person like you can either do it or you can't but it's also really connected to your ancestors and it is connected to um basically like social issues as well like inequality if you don't have the right social status then you can't have access to learn more about your Mm. potential abilities um and i think that inequality is something that is really evident in this story but in order to access the library of the dead right you have to have you have to pay a fee and it's like a lot of money and ropa is like i'm never gonna get this money but at the same time the library is like a giant repository of knowledge that she could potentially learn anything yeah, and as far as we've seen, this is really the only place that she can get, like, all that information that she would need to learn how to use her magic. Mm-hmm. When she's talking with her grandma throughout the book, you get the sense that, like, maybe her grandma knows she has the ability to, like, call upon magic. Um, but it isn't until she gets to the Library of the Dead that she starts, like, realizing that mm-hmm. and then reading the books. Um, and I wouldn't say she's super successful with her magic yet, but that maybe that will be the progression. Yeah, I did like how, kind of like midway through the story, she has this book about fire magic, and Mm. it was really interesting that they had broken it down in a way that 
it was basically physics. Like, there was an well, equation related to using fire magic, and, like, in order to use the magic, you have to understand all of the theory behind it, which was interesting I was to me. Say, it, it reminded me just a little bit of when we read Shadow and Bone when they called the magic, they call magic small sciences mm-hmm. or whatever. Because mm-hmm. it reminds me of that, like, that there was a lot of, like, theory and stuff that you had to act, then practically do before you could even... Yeah. Utilize the magic. So it, it reminded me of that a little bit. I wouldn't say that it's when you read it, it's like jumps off the page as being the same thing. It wasn't that at all, but it was this idea that there's so much more to it instead of just like do magic. Yeah. It's also, I think it's something that people know exists but it's still like other than the ghost aspect of this magic is not really widely accepted so in a way that makes ropa isolated from other people her age that combined with the ghost talking that she does she dropped out of school she doesn't really have any living friends though she does seem to be like an empathic person, she is responsible for delivering messages from the dead to their living loved ones, you know? Well, and I, I think- also would say that I- Oh, go ahead, finish your sentence. You can go ahead, if you had a- I would say, I don't think that she's actually empathetic. That's like some growth that we see from her. She's very mm-hmm. like all about the business initially. Yeah, initially, for sure. On. Yeah. She's very much like a loner at the beginning. And is like, yeah. oh, you can't pay me, then sorry. Take your messages Bye. somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, like you mentioned in, in the summary, she does eventually speak to a mother. And that mother's son was missing when she died. So then Ropa spends most of the story trying to figure out what happened to this child and where he and is and children. whether he can be saved. Yeah. That kind of, like, opens up this whole conspiracy where a bunch of kids have gone missing and, like, if they come back, weird things have happened to them. Like, one of them, they, what was his name, Max or Matt or something with an M, but he was one of, he was a he friend like, of this kid that she's mm-hmm. trying to find. And she went to his house to try to, like figure out how he was and ask him questions about his friend and he was like an old man in a kid's body he had like yeah the head was like wrinkles and and he couldn't speak it was weird it was weird but i think that and then that to touch on that we've already mentioned there are like a lot of social issues presented in this a lot of the kids that are going missing are kids from families that aren't well off, um, live in the slum. So it'd be like easy. It's like a vulnerable population mm-hmm. where if someone goes missing, other people in positions of power don't take it seriously. Yeah. And the people who do take um, it seriously don't have the resources to figure to out what happened, solve to it. look for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we do see the like Ropa change a, a little bit of who she is. She's now starting to formulate like mm-hmm. some friends. She rekindled her friendship with Jomo. She uh, made a new friend, uh, Priya, and then is trying to save these kids. And I think part of it like tugged on her heartstrings a little bit because she has a younger sister. And I think that that was maybe a little bit of motivation for her 
Mm-hmm. Um, as well as like really seeing that these people weren't being taken care of and that maybe she could help. Yeah. And I think her grandmother also said something like, it's not always about the money. Sometimes yeah, that was actually you have to help people because they really need help. Yeah. Her grandma gave her like a kiss on the cheek and she's like, that's payment enough. I don't know why I thought it was really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the characters that we meet in this book experience some kind of sacrifice and they're also in a way struggling to survive uh ropa most of all but i i feel that you know like i said most of the characters we see this happening um ropa kind of comes from a broken family her mother disappeared at one point who knows where her father is i don't think we ever hear much about her father they really struggle to make ends meet um And I think that her sister is a big motivator for her in terms of the sacrifices that she makes. And the spirits of the dead themselves are struggling in a way because they can't move into that other realm because they have some kind of unfinished business, which is why we assume that if they exist, that ghosts are here. But... How do you think that themes like the social issues and the inequality and, like you mentioned, the exploitation of people who are not in positions of power, how do you see that manifesting in this book? Well, I feel like we first kind of catch a glimpse of it when... Ropa stumbles into the Library of the Dead because there was very much this, like, elitist attitude when she Mm -hmm. came in, and they were going to, like, do this very severe punishment to her because they don't let... They were going to, like, cut off her finger or something like that because she was in the library without permission. That's crazy. And then once they finally realized that she had, like, the credentials that she would need to be there, which was having, like, some sort of magical ability, um, then they were like, okay, like, fine, you can be here. But then no one else was really helping her. Mm-hmm. So, like, even when she was in there and there's all this knowledge around, like, you still, if you've never had access to stuff like that, you would still need help to learn how to use it. And no one there was, like, helpful. Um, and then to see that she was getting more help from, excuse me, bless you, <laughs> more help from the people that were in positions that they didn't have much to give, but they were giving as much as they could, like, I don't remember the guy's name, but it was, like, a crowd she used to run with when she would, like, help them. Essentially, I think, like, steal stuff, and then mm-hmm. she got out of that business. He was helping her more than other people. Like, kind of this questionable character, because he knew what was morally right and what was not, even though he steals. But, like, kids, like, should be taken care of. Yeah. So it was weird. It it's a It's a good read from the point of, like, seeing that, like, there are social injustices and... That hopefully people then start to change for the better because it seemed like towards the end, some of the snobs from the library like realized that she did something good, but I don't know. Yeah, and that kind of brings us to this concept of the collector because she does visit. I kind of think of him as like a crime boss. She visits him and he tells her that she he sent a girl into a house because the house looked like it had a bunch of stuff that they could loot and the girl never came back out so she goes to this house and in the window of the house 
she sees her mother. And, like, we don't know anything about her mother. And she's like, oh, my God, my mom, of course, runs up to the door, as any child would when seeing their mother for the first time in years, possibly Mm -hmm. forever, you know. And when she goes into the house, she is trapped in there. Her mother is not there. It's like an illusion. Somehow the house lures children in by showing them what they really want, I guess. And the little girl that had been sent in by the crime boss had said that she saw, she saw like a teddy bear or something waving at her. Like, and that even goes back into the social inequality issues. How can a little girl not have a teddy bear? Yeah. Like they are, they're, people are so poor in this world that they can't afford a teddy bear for their kid. And I also do want to touch on, because, again, it wasn't, like, going into too much, but it did feel almost a little bit, not, like, post-apocalyptic, but yeah. definitely post-something. It was, like, a like, dystopian situation. To... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it wasn't really, like, developed that much. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't know. There's just a lot going on in this book. Yeah, you There's feel like it's kind of some kind of future where social inequality is a lot more readily evident, but like it, it never mentioned. It was also like Like close enough to our time that you're not really sure where, where in time this book is set. Yeah. But the collector was kind of the big bad or the antagonist. Yeah. In this book, or at least the one that we were referring to until we figure out who's really, like, the person motivating these crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find this to be, like, a believable antagonist with clear motives? No. I mean, the motives were clear. Like, you get to the end, you find out who it is. Then, and like, they do all this just to, like, keep themselves young. Yeah, young and pretty. It really reminded me of the true knot. <sighs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the steam and staying young. It did feel like that, yeah. <laughs> but not steam. It was, I don't know what it was. What did they call it? It was something, they were know, selling it as like a drug or something that yeah, was harvested from that young kinda, kids. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, I don't know. I, I don't I think. I felt it, like, again, <laughs> it just wasn't that well developed. Like, yeah. I didn't, and even if it had been the big bad had been so developed. I don't think that any convincing would make me empathize with someone who uses children in any way. No, no, so, definitely not. Anyway, would you, would you read any more books in this series? Cause I, think I don't, I pass. don't think so. I think I'm going to say no. In fact, I'm going to try to sell these on Pango books. If you're interested, <laughs> I'm not reading them. It's just really difficult. I tried to read it, and again, the dialogue, the the dialect was hard for me. And then I was like, maybe the audio will be better, but the accent was sometimes difficult to understand. I don't know. Interesting narrative. Could have yeah, been it was definitely a better developed cool premise. And again, I think though also like we're just not the target audience anymore. So right. We ask this question about every book during spooky season, and I guess we can modify this question a little bit. Was there anything spooky 
to you about this book? I actually thought when she was trapped in that house, it was this premise that she was tethered to the house and you Mm -hmm. can't step out because if you do, it's like you're getting cut up on the inside and there's this weird like umbilical like cord attached her to the house. Yeah. But like almost like her intestines. And I thought that was freaky. That did spook me a little bit. Yeah. At one point, the butler guy said, you can only go as far as your intestines are long. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that freaked me out a little, I'll be honest. I think the way that the collector lured the children was really spooky for me. Yeah. I don't really like that. Yeah, we don't like that. They're, like, drawn inside, and then they're trapped. Just mean. Why do that to kids? Get Mm -hmm. their hopes up like that, and then be like, just kidding, you can never leave. Rude. Anyway, uh, we next have time. One more book left for spooky <laughs> yep. season. Yeah, one more. And it's book. gonna be better. <laughs> We're gonna be reading from one of my favorite authors, which is Simone St. James. She published a short story at the beginning of this year, and it's called Ghost Nineteen. It's really interesting. Yeah, and I'm really glad we're gonna do like a short story. I feel like this is gonna be perfect for like anyone that just wants like a short spooky read mm-hmm. for the season. Because sometimes you can't commit to like a big. Mm-hmm big book because Dr. Sleep was massive. Um, So I think that this will be like a really good little spooky novella. Yeah. Especially if you're the kind of person who likes to read depending on your mood. Like you'd let it get a little bit cooler, let it be autumn, pumpkins everywhere, and then pick up Ghost 19. And it'll only take you like a day or two to read it because it's 100 pages. So I think that'd be good good if you're a mood reader. I think it's going to be a good one though. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone. If you enjoyed the conversation today and all the rest of our so far for spooky season or anything else that we put out there, please give us a little bit of love on our social media page. We'd really appreciate it. Um, for this one, I don't know. Do we have anything special for an emoji for this one? Maybe a fox. She has a pet mm. fox. She this. does. So That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is neat. So throw us up maybe a fox for this one. And just thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we'll speak with you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.